It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The prospect team of the year is out on MLBPipeline.com. That includes the pitcher and hitters of the year. We'll discuss that, that on the podcast. We'll also take a look back at the Justin Verlander trade and what the Tigers got in return for their longtime ace. We're also a week into the month of September. There's been plenty of top prospects getting their first tastes of the major leagues. So we'll touch on some of those players. Some of them could have big impacts down the stretch. But we're going to start with the prospect team of the year. And specifically, the pitcher of the year, as we are excited to be joined on the podcast by John Duplantier, the Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher. And what a season for John. 12-3, and a 1-3-9 ERA right now, 165 strikeouts in 136 innings. First of all, John, congratulations on being the Pipeline Pitcher of the Year. Appreciate it. This is, this is cool. You definitely would have caught me out of cousin Bell. <laughs> all right. So, John, I know that um, obviously pitching right now in the D-back system and they're having a great season, but you're from Houston. You played your college ball at Rice in Houston. Has it been tough the last week or, or 10 days, you know, with the hurricane coming and, and passing through your hometown, just kind of staying focused with all that going on? Um, definitely. Uh, you know, a lot of friends and a lot of the community that I, I grew up in, I, I claim as like my hometown out in Katy. I mean, the water's still standing, house having to be gutted. So, I mean, I know a lot of people that are going through a lot of, a lot of stuff right now. Um, Fortunately, my family was okay uh, in Houston. I have some cousins up on the north side, and every, our property here and our, our belongings are all safe and pets and whatnot. But, um, you know, the, the baseball field, the mountain was kind of a, an escape from all that. Um, off, I wake up in the morning, I have pictures and, and texts from my parents telling us that they're okay and um, videos of dog running around the rain or just the flooding streets or the surrounding areas, you know, and then you kind of step, you step into the lines and you forget all about it for about three hours, and then you got to go back to it. So um, in between starts, it was kind of it was tough. I mean, just worrying about everybody back home and kind of feeling bad that you're not there with them, experiencing it and, and going through it with them. But, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of easy to forget all of it when you're on the mound doing what you love. John, congratulations on a tremendous season. Your uh, your ERA was the lowest in the minor leagues in the last 25 years, with the exception of Justin Verlander had a 1-2-9 ERA uh, in 2005. Uh, you know, this year you you made a run at that, and, and I think you finished what at 1.39. Verlander went from that season straight to the big leagues. And while I'm not putting the pressure on you to go straight to Arizona, are, are you starting to to see the the big leagues like? not too far in your distant future, you're starting to think about that? Um, I mean, dream about it every night when you go to sleep, you know. Um, I think I have the dream of hitting my first ever in-game home run in the big leagues 
literally every night, every other night, once, two, three times a week. But, um, yeah, I try not to think about that kind of stuff. Uh, that, that stuff is kind of out of my hands in terms of things I can control. Um, only thing I can control during this season and next season, when next season spring training start, is how I perform that day um, and how I go about my work leading up to every outing. And um, and then now in the offseason, just making sure I show up to spring training ready to rock and roll. Um, you know, I just want to go out there and give everybody a chance to win every day. And then uh, hopefully they see that as, as I can do that for the big league team at some point in the near future. That'd be, that'd be awesome. But definitely not something that is really spending too much time on my mind. John, uh, you know, with the season – that had so many highs. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, what was the biggest highlight of the year? Was it uh, joining us at FanFest or joining us right now on the podcast? Oh, snap. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, in, in all seriousness, I know, it, you know the season yeah. is just wrapping up and, and it's been a great year, but you know, what, were some, you know, what were some of the things that really stood out to you in, in you know, your first full season of Pro Bowl? I mean, definitely a future game. That was um, that was unbelievable. I mean, when I got when I got back to Visalia, um, or when I left Visalia, was when I was getting ready to leave. Shelly Duncan, our manager, sat me down. and was like, "Hey, if you do one thing, he's I don't care if you walk everybody, strike everybody out. If you do one thing for me, and that's when you run out of that bullpen or you step on the field, you look around and you just take it all in." And so I did, running out for the bullpen in the seventh, and um, and uh, I mean. I couldn't contain myself. It was, I was just, I made sure I wasn't going to fall, and then I couldn't believe what I was feeling in the moment. You know, it was just cool. So um, that was like the little taste. So, like, kind of that, that another carrot, so to speak, to, uh, to give you give me the motivation to, like, push even harder, you know. Um, and then the fact that my parents and my best, my best friend got to experience that with me and be there for that. And, I mean, it was just, it was fun, you know. Um, that was that was probably the biggest high because it was, I mean, I got to represent my team, got to represent my country, got to represent my family and myself, you know, so that was probably it. This is pretty sweet, too. It's for a different reason, but it's sweet. John, we talked in, in spring training, and, and, you know, we talked about the fact you lasted to the third round of the draft in 2016, which... You know, I don't. I wouldn't describe you as angry about it, but it seemed like you did have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder about it. Uh, you know, you missed your second season of Rice, and maybe that played into it. But given your stuff, I know John, Jonathan, and I when we ranked the the draft, we had you kind of as a supplemental first round, early second rounder. Now you've put the first season behind you. Does this draft? Does what happened on draft day still you know serve as motivation for you, or is it now far enough in the past that you you don't use it as motivation anymore? Um. No, it's it's still motivation, and it's it's not motivation because I'm hurt over it or, um, and didn't hurt, didn't it didn't hurt my feelings, you know. Uh, it's just it's just that it's just one of those things that you use as a carrot. Um, very few people in this world are just motivated purely without without anything can they stay motivated. I mean, so I I just I remember I just remember. I don't know, just the fact that it was 89. I remember 89, and so I wanted to just see if I can be as good as I can be and just see how it stacks up, you know, later on. But, um, yeah, there's just there some picks that I was 
there's some picks that I was almost supposed to be taking in, and, and I did, and it, it it is what it is, but definitely keeps it allows there to be a little bit bigger chip on my shoulder than if I got taken earlier. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, I, I truly believe I'm, I'm better for it. You know, your experience is going to make it fan you are, so um, definitely just going to take with it and run. John, when we, uh, I guess when we talked at the Futures game, you had just been moved up uh, to the California League. Uh, what, was, what were the main differences that you saw between the Midwest League and the California League, and how, how important was it for you, do you think, to, to you know, sort of push the Dunmecs or, or earn that, that promotion up a level this year in order to make it like a, uh, seem like a truly successful year for you? Well, when I, when I went from, from low to high, uh, the first thing I noticed is uh, hitters were more patient. Um, they were more patient. It, it, it seemed to me like they were looking for something early in counts, um, whereas in low A, some guys doing that. You can definitely tell the, the more advanced hitters are looking for something um, or they're just they're, they're, they're disciplined in their approach. But... Um, when I got to, uh, to high, it wasn't just like I was like, okay, you know what? No matter what happens, I'm just going to go with my game plan. And for every hitter, you know what? I throw, I have a good, I have a sinking fastball and a good slider. So that's how I'm going to get everybody. And then the lefty, I'm going to change up. I'm going to go fastball and change up and put them away this way. Uh, I had to make it more adjustments as they were adjusting to me. I mean, I would notice that bats, guys would be trying to look away and stay back and drive something the other way. But then, Say I busted them in two, two times with a fastball righty, and then all of a sudden now they're kind of opening that front hip. You just notice adjustments that hitters make, and if you're not careful, they'll tear you up with those adjustments. And and, um, and so I just I, fi- I figured out, you know what, if, to make sure that this promotion is earned and make sure that in everybody's eyes I'm, I'm still the guy that I believe I am and my parents believe I am, um, I'm going to have to adjust quicker. I'm going to have to do more homework. I'm going to have to pay more attention, learn every day. I mean, I was, uh, towards the end of the season, I would sit up in the stands doing chart, but I was looking at the scouting report, kind of following along just to see if I could pick up anything, like if the hitters were adjusting certain stuff, you know. Um, I just, I mean, I worked with our pitching coach. Our pitching coach did a great job in, in Visalia, giving us that kind of, those kind of tools, scouting reports, hot cold zones, uh, swing and miss zones. I mean, I was really fortunate and blessed in that respect. So thanks to Jeff Bajanaro, if he's listening, he, he helped me a lot there. He gave me a better, better picture. Hey John, what do you plan for the off season? I, I guess I was kind of selfishly hoping that we might see you in the Arizona Fall League, but you've thrown close to 140 innings, so I know that's not going to happen. What, what's your off season schedule going to look like? Uh, well, I'm headed, I'm headed home to Houston. Uh, I'll be working out there. I'm going to take a couple weeks off uh, from pretty much everything. I might keep running. I'd be helping some people move some stuff around, so I'll keep some cardio up there and then lift some lines. But uh, I'm probably just gonna hang. I'm just gonna hang out in Houston for the most of the season. Spend time with my family, work out. Uh, pretty much do the same thing I did last offseason, except she'll probably just push a little bit harder. You know, I'm a little hungry this year. So um, yeah, I mean, still living at home. Twenty people living at home, eating home cooked meals and. Bulking up, ready for another long season. 
I think that's uh, living the dream, John. Thank you so much for taking some time with us, and uh, congratulations on uh, being the MLB Pipeline Pitcher of the Year for 2017. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was John Duplantier of the Arizona Diamondbacks system. A tremendous season for him, uh, guys. And, and what a great interview, too. Insightful stuff from John. I wanted to get into the rest of the team a little bit, though. Uh, he's the pitcher of the year. The hitter of the year is Ronald Acuna. No surprise there, I think, for anybody who's followed uh, the Miners this season. An incredible season as he skyrocketed uh, up through that Brave system to the, be their number one prospect. Um, was there any debate, Jonathan, as far as hitter of the year goes? Uh, there was some. Um, I you know, did not for vote me, for him. I mean, he was not my top choice. I think he's a very worthy choice, but he was not my top choice. So. All right, there you go. Yeah, there was some definite debate. But I don't think that you could really question that Acuna wasn't deserving, you know, given he's 19, made it to AAA, and dominated across three levels, 20-40 season, and uh, on and on. Yeah, Jim, you mentioned Bo Bichette was your pick, so hey, here's a little chance to give a plug for why you thought Bo Bichette should have been the hitter of the year. Yeah, and, 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 I, and they're both deserving. So like Jonathan said, it, it wasn't so much that I, I was pounding my fist on the table with vehemence that, you know, Ronald Acuna should not uh, – not be our pick. Although Braves fans are, I just I, I like Bichette's here slightly more. Although it, it's obviously it, it's apples and oranges a little bit because they played at different levels. But Bo Bichette hit 362. He led the minors in hitting. He's the first teenager to lead the minors in hitting since 1963, the first year of the modern history of the minors. Uh, he was second to my, my favorite prospect, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., in on-base percentage, um, 41 doubles, 14 homers, 22 steals. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, Johnson said, and, and I agree, they were both worthy. I, I just had Bichette slightly ahead of Acuna, but Acuna's a good choice as well. But, but there, there was yeah. a debate. Yeah, and we and, and you know we we talked a little bit about uh, Vlad Jr. You know who did what he did, played at two levels like Bichette did at age 18. Uh, I think Rafael Devers, you know, we we gave a, a nice look to, sort of a, a little bit forgotten just because, uh, you know, he he didn't play enough in the minors to qualify for you know, batting title. So when you're doing just statistical searches, he doesn't show up, and then you go back and look what he did at age 20 at two levels, and then whether or not you you know figure in what he's done in Boston and into the conversation, uh, I think even subconsciously that, that has an impact. So, uh, I mean, that, those are really the only guys that really got uh, any kind of strong consideration. And, and Acuna got most of the votes, and as Jim Point said, he, he had Bichette slightly ahead of Acuna. All right, so here's the rest of the roster and all those guys you talked about obviously making it onto the team. The catcher, Victor Caratini of the Cubs. First base is Riz Hoskins, who's clobbering home runs for the Phillies right now. Another Philly at second as they own the right side of the infield, Scott Kingery. Uh, Devers of the Red Sox is at third. Bichette at shortstop. Acuna in the outfield along with Austin Hayes of the Orioles and Derek Fisher of the Astros. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the designated hitter. And then Duplantier is the right-handed pitcher. Luis Gohara is the left-handed pitcher, and John Curtis of the Twins organization is your relief pitcher. Uh, when you look at that full list of guys, um, I'll, I'll go to you first here, Jim. Is there is there one guy on that list that maybe if at the beginning of the season you had to put together the team you thought would be the prospect team of the year wouldn't have been on it and has kind of really surprised you this season? 
Yeah, and, and I, I will I will not count John Curtis uh, as the relief pitcher since that you know most of your your better pitching prospects are starting pitchers. So I think relief pitcher would have been wide open. Although I think it's safe to say that neither Jonathan or I necessarily would have seen John Curtis making the prospect team of the year. Yeah, for me, I think the biggest surprise might have been Scott Kingery. I, I liked him out of college. I know Jonathan did too. And his first year in pro ball uh, with the Phillies, you know, he hit five home runs total. Um, and he didn't really light it up after a late promotion to double-A. He didn't really light it up in the Arizona Fall League. In fact, I remember I was speaking at the, the Baseball HQ First Pitch Forum and breaking down some of the best prospects on each of the teams and Kingery was one of the better prospects on his team. And I had a couple scouts tell me, man, I, I just wasn't impressed by that guy at all. Uh, and then you look this year, uh, you know, he, he made a run at a 30-30 season. He wound up with 26 homers and 29 steals. And unlike some guys who, who crushed it at Reading and didn't necessarily crush it as much after making the jump to Lehigh Valley and in AAA, he did. So I think he was probably the guy who maybe opened our eyes the most, um, you know, I guess the other guy, and I'll let Jonathan talk about him if he wants, would probably be Austin Hayes, although I know Jonathan and I have talked about him in the past, and while I wouldn't necessarily have said, oh, yeah, he'll be on the prospect team of the year, I thought he was kind of a steal when the Orioles got him in the third round of last year's draft, um, although I did not necessarily project him hitting 32 homers and making a run at the home run title. Yeah, I agree with both of those guys, especially, um, you know, just quickly on Kingery. It's funny because Kevin Newman uh, was his double play partner in college and, you know, went ahead of him. And uh, to me, Kingery is, you know, a better player now, and we have them ranked uh, accordingly. Hayes, you know, there's so many talented outfielders, and there are a number of other guys who have had huge years, uh, a bunch of 2020 guys. A little aside, I think our colleague Jason Ratliff, uh, did some research, and there were 10 2020 guys in the minors this year. And, you know, you know, Kyle Tucker, Jose Siri, some outfielders that did it. So there were outfielders to be considered. But you look at what Hayes did in his first full season um, between, you know, uh, Class A advanced ball in Carolina League and then double A, and he raked in both and hit for power in both, did not strike out a ton. He had 32 homers and only 85 strikeouts. That's silly. You know, and, uh, and got a September call-up uh, as a result, and and was probably on the list if I were to rank the prospects according to complaints on Twitter I receive. He would be on that top five, I think. Um, so yes, uh, I, I kind of liked him coming uh, coming out of Jacksonville. I knew he had power. I didn't know that he would hit quite this much, and I wasn't sure how it would translate to the pro game. So. He definitely was not a guy that I saw coming in as a, oh, he's going to be one of the best outfield prospects in in baseball at the end of the year. All right, before we move on to the rare uh, waiver trade blockbuster that we had this week, uh, we want to check in and tell you a little bit about the Cut Forecast. The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut 4 section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, we really think you'll enjoy it. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball dogs or baseball food. Last week's episode took stock of which broadcaster calls were the greatest in MLB history and then debated whether an average MLB fan could get at least one hit if they had a full season of at-bats against Major League Pitching. 
If that sounds like something you're into, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four, C-A-S-T, in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts and click subscribe. Now on with the show and on with Justin Verlander heading to the Houston Astros, something that I kind of thought was going to get done at the end of July. It didn't, and a lot of people kind of criticized the Astros for not going out and making that move to help them in October. Well, they made the move, and they made it at the end of August. Going the other way, guys, Franklin Perez, who was the Astros' number three prospect, Daz Cameron was number nine, Jake Rogers number 11. All three of those guys move up as far as rating goes when they go to the Tigers' system. Um, they didn't have to give up the Astros, their top two prospects. When you look at this deal, um, Jim, I'll start with you. You know, it seems like the Astros got off the hook in a sense with a good deal here and that if any time you get a guy like Verlander and don't give up your top two prospects, you did pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a trade they wanted to make if they were going to go out and get a guy. I mean, they've resisted including Kyle Tucker pretty much in any trade discussions. Um, I don't think they want to give a Forrest Whitley, who's, who's the rare high school player who, who reached double-A, high school pitcher who reached double-A in his first full pro season. And, you know, it's a trade that made sense. You know, I mean, it seems like, you know, most trades should make sense, but they don't always do, or at least not to, to us. But this was a trade that made sense uh, for both teams when you look at what they're trying to do. The, the Tigers are entering a rebuilding phase. They need to enter the rebuilding phase. Justin Verlander has a excessive contract. I think he's if I'm not mistaken, making $28 million a year the next two years with a $22 million vesting option. Um, the, I think the Tigers are picking up about $17 million of that. Um, so, it, but, you know, it's still, they're still going to have to pay Verlander a decent amount of money. It comes out to, what, like almost $60 million over three seasons if that, if that option vests. I guess, actually, I take that back. I think he waived the vesting option, but they're still going to owe him $40 million over the next two seasons. But, you know, from the Tigers' standpoint, I mean, they got three good prospects. They didn't, they didn't get Whitley and they didn't get Tucker, but Franklin Perez has a chance to be a number three starter. I think a pretty solid chance. He's got advanced pitchability for a young guy. Daz Cameron, who we've talked about in the podcast a number of times, was a first-round pick, or supplemental first-round pick in 2015, signed for $4 million, and really started to pick it up in the second half of this season. And, you know, he's always going to be kind of tied into his dad, who's a standout big leaguer. And, and for what it's worth, his dad got off to a slow start in the minor leagues as well. So Daz could really be coming into his own. And, and then Jake Rogers, you know, when he came out of the 2016 draft, I had some scouts tell me they thought he was the best defensive player at any position. He's got a great arm. He's a great receiver. Uh, you, know, he, you know, the question was whether he was going to hit. You know, he had 233 at Tulane with not much power. And this year he, he's made some adjustments. He's not as pull-happy. He, he's improved his timing at the plate. And I don't think he's going to win a batting title, but he now looks like he's going to hit more than enough to be a regular. So I think... The Tigers did really well to get those three guys and to get out from under Verlander's contract and, and also Justin Upton's contract as they look to rebuild. And the Astros did a nice job getting a guy like Verlander without having to sacrifice you know, their two untouchable prospects. Jonathan, the Tigers system has long been, I guess, not that great as far as the <laughs> prospects go from a high-end standpoint and the depth standpoint. How much do these three players who are now all in, I think, the top eight, in the Tiger yep. system, how much do they kind of pump up that system? Uh, it makes a it makes a huge difference, uh, both in terms of these, uh, impact, talent, and and quantity. Uh, and they needed both. I mean, I do the Tigers uh, list I have the last few years. 
you know, the, the system had been raided over the years, and we all know Dave Dombrowski's reputation for using minor leaguers to help the big league team. And listen, they've been competitive. They've they've won. They've played in postseason. So, you know, it's understandable, but it didn't leave them with, with much. Um, and now, you know, it gives them uh, the, the possibility of uh, several good players, um, you know, three guys who could end up being big league regulars. Uh, and I think the key in some ways might end up being Daz Cameron because, I, I, you know, as Jim pointed out, he, it looks like this year he started to figure things out uh, finally. Now we'll see what happens as he moves up the ladder, but he has the kind of upside to be a top 100 type of prospect if he continues on the path that it looked like he started down in the second half of this year. Uh, so they could have added uh, another guy of that caliber. Uh, they already added Heimer Candelario earlier. Um, you know, so they now have, uh, what, five top 100 uh, players. Um, and, uh, you know, Cameron would be a sixth if he can move in that direction. Kristen Stewart was a draftee. He's moving in, you know, a ton of power. Uh, Jake Rogers, uh, as Jim pointed out. Uh, and then behind him, you got Kyle Funkhauser and Isaac Paredes, who uh, they also got in, in a trade. So uh, there is a lot more depth here, and I can already tell you, I am looking forward to digging into this list uh, if I do them again in 2018. All right, so it's September, and that means plenty of call-ups to the big leagues. A lot of guys making their major league debuts. Um, a short list that I put together, and there's more guys coming up every day, too, as minor league seasons come to an end. Teams get knocked out of the postseason down in the minor league level. But uh, the Dodgers have called up Alex Verdugo, talented infielder, their number two prospect, number 27 overall. Walker Bueller, Dodgers number one, number 12 in the top 100. The Indians have called up catcher Francisco Mejia. He's their number one prospect, number 15 in the top 100. Then Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals, number 52 in the top 100. J.P. Crawford of the Phillies, number 60, and previously much higher than that in the top 100 prospects. So some talented guys we're going to get a chance to see at the big league level here in September. Jim, of that list, um, who are you most excited to see perform here in September? Some of these guys, or a lot of these guys, are in pennant races. Yeah, and for me, I mean, he, well, I, I don't know if he's in a pennant race because his team is all but clinched a playoff race. He needs to turn uh, around the slide. Already, but uh, Walker Bueller with the Dodgers just intrigues me. Uh, you know, we've talked about him uh, a ton on the podcast over the course of the year, too. But, I mean, this is a guy who a year ago on this day had pitched five innings in two years of pro ball because he had Tommy John surgery right after the Dodgers took him in the first round. And now, a year later, he's getting called to the big leagues. Um, you could argue he's the best pitching prospect in baseball. His stuff, I mean, you, you always, you know, it's almost a cliche, guy's stuff gets better uh, after they have Tommy John surgery, not because of the surgery, but because of the rehab. And, and Bueller told me in spring training he'd put on 15 pounds. And, you know, he was an intriguing guy in the offseason because after – being one of the best prospects in the 2015 draft and working with a low 90s fastball and kind of solid secondary pitches that he controlled well. He came back from Tommy John surgery last summer in his brief time on the mound and was touching 99 miles an hour and throwing in the mid-90s, and he kept that stuff all season long. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to see a ton of him because they're going to use him as a reliever for now. Long term, he'll be a starter. But, A, I'm intrigued just that this guy – you know, Johnson and I ranked him, I want to say, the fourth-best player in the draft heading into 2015, you know, ahead of his teammate Dansby Swanson, who went number one. And, you know, this guy's raced from Class A to the big leagues in about six months. And I don't think it's out of the question if he performs well 
that he can make the postseason roster. Now, that said, pitching in relief, he doesn't get to his curveballs much. He uses his slider more. I do think he's a little tired after pitching nine innings this year, after pitching five last year. So I don't know if we'll see him in the playoffs. But uh, I'm just intrigued to no end to see what he can do in the big leagues already. How about you, Jonathan? It could go in one, two directions. Uh, you know, I am interested to see what Luis Gahara does. Uh, you know, got called up as well for the Braves. Uh, they're not, and then it was a little bit of a surprise call. But I guess the guy I really want to see swing the bat is uh, Francisco Mejia in Cleveland. Add add in this little wrinkle that uh, you know they had him starting to take ground balls at third base, and he's going to play third in the Arizona Fall League. Now, I don't think you're going to see him play third in Cleveland this month, although that would be interesting. Talk about throwing a guy into the fire. Um, you know, if a guy wasn't even an infielder, it's not that the Indians have given up on his abilities behind the plate. It's just that their catchers are, are, are locked up. And they're kind of set there depth-wise. Um, so he, he's starting to learn some third base. Now that what, you know, leads to more questions about what the Indians are going to end up doing uh, with their infield. Obviously, Jose Ramirez is is uh, pretty darn good, and uh, and I don't know what they do with Jason Kipnis, so they'll have some decisions to make. But for now, I think you're going to see Mejia come off the bench. He can pinch hit for any number of guys. You can put him behind the plate. Having that third catcher option as the Indians prepare for the postseason is a good thing. But uh, this is a guy who has hit for average and power, you know, uh, especially the power coming this year. So I'm excited to see you know, whatever time he does get uh, in, in this final month of the season with Cleveland to, to see what it looks like uh, with the expectation of seeing him in a, in a more full-time capacity in 2018. All right, outstanding stuff, guys. That's going to do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We want to thank John Duplantier for coming on as well as he is the Pipeline Pitcher of the Year. You can check out the full list of the Prospect Team of the Year on MLBPipeline.com. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.